and hold. Have you ever, if you want to get them to Timothy, to Timothy, but I want to start with a, um, a question. Um, have you ever, and, and I, I can't even believe I'm asking a question like this, has anybody ever been camping? You ever been camping? Does anybody enjoy camping? Seriously? <laughs> anyway, all right. Have, I, I, but I do remember camping. I have been. Um, if I go now, I'd have to go glamping with a bed and a toilet and all that kind of stuff. But when you're camping, and, and think about think about maybe getting close to bedtime, all right? You're sitting there, and you're sitting around. You have a fire going. And you sit around the fire, and, and it's great because you're all warm and toasty on the front. And the back, your back is freezing. Um, and, and you can't get comfortable around that silly old fire. But bedtime comes and you're gonna go crawl in that tent and sleep on the nasty, dirty ground with nothing between you and the ground but a mat and a sleeping bag. But before you do that, if you wanna have, what do you do if you wanna have your fire ready to go in the morning? Anybody know what you do to have your fire ready for the morning if you don't have to build a whole new fire? Anybody remember? It's called banking the fire. You know what that is? You kind of build a protection around it and you take some coals and you put them around so you try to, pro- try to protect the fire so that the fire is easier to get going in the morning. So you get up in the morning, you scrape off the, you scrape off the embers and the ash and the coals hopefully are still red and you get some kindling and you rebuild the fire and to do that you have to stir the fire up to get it going again. And before you know it, if you, if you're a decent camper, you got your fire going and you have your, you have your pot of coffee on the fire and you're cooking your scrambled eggs or pancakes or whatever, um, and you're ready to go again. But that image of that fire being there, and if you don't take care of the fire, it, it's gonna go cold and sometimes it might even die. And even in, even in your house sometimes, you get up, if you time it right, you can rebuild your fire from the coals that are there. And, but if you don't watch the fire, eventually it's going to go out. And I have just started studying for the first time the book of 2 Timothy. And I changed the title of my, oh, I misspelled it. Keep the fire going. Alright, that's what 2 Timothy is all about. Keeping the fire going. Keeping it stoked. And Paul is going to challenge his son in the faith, Timothy, as Timothy. And remember, remember the setting for 2 Timothy. You know the setting? What's going on when 2 Timothy is written? You know where Paul is? He's in real jail this time. Alright, we left Acts. He was under house arrest in Rome. When he, when he's this time around, he's in real prison. We don't know exactly where. It's someplace close to Ephesus. He knows that he's about done. And we looked at that last week. That's why I decided to come back here this week. We looked at that last... <coughs> he knows his ministry is about done. And he... um. <coughs> so he writes this very personal letter. To Timothy is almost so personal that you kind of feel a bit like you're eavesdropping on Timothy and Paul's relationship. But it's a tremendous challenge, and he challenges his young son in the faith to keep that fire going. Because he's, he knows he's going to die. And he was realistic. He, he knows that he was the most fervent, the most, the fire in Paul's life 
for those years of his ministry was unquenchable. We just finished the book of Acts and we saw how how Paul just kept going and going and going and going and going. And he wants to encourage his, his young son in the faith, Timothy, to stir that fire back up. Don't let that fire go out. And as we look at this book, we're going to look at the responsibility that Timothy had to take the things passed on to him by Paul and to keep that fire going. And that's what for 2 Timothy is all about. Not a very complicated book. But my goodness, is it powerful. Um, we, we, we just mentioned a few things about Timothy. The key verse for the whole chapter is in chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. And this is the key. This is the core of the entire letter. We're not going to get all this far, all that far today. But 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, chapter 1 and verse 6. He says, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the... Um, Laying on of my hands. Uh, for God hath... I need to have the lights on to read. Can somebody go turn the lights on, please? I can't see in the darkness. <sighs> for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, There, thank you very much. Thank you, Ashling. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of His presence, but show with me, uh, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Timothy and Paul had this close relationship. The background for Timothy is Timothy was um, was saved. Well, we're going to mention that in just a second. Timothy was from Lystra, a Roman colony in the in south central Turkey. He was from a mixed marriage, by the way. He had a Greek um, father, and uh, his mother was a Jew. Uh, it would have caused him huge difficulties as a child because people were just as racist back then as they are now. And he would have had a, his mixed blood. He wouldn't have gotten along with anybody or he would have had people opposing him all the time. And neither group had much time for, uh, for each other. Paul calls Timothy, uh, my, my dear brother in, in the faith. He calls him my fellow worker. He calls him my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. And Timothy, uh, he, he encourages people to, to work with Timothy. Um, and uh, he mentions how that Jesus Christ was working through Timothy's life. And he says back in First Thessalonians, I sent Timothy, our brother and minister of the God, to our, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. As I said, he's in a heavily guarded prison. And basically there are three reasons that Paul wrote this letter. First of all, it's hard to even imagine this. But Paul was human. Alright? He knew his death was at hand. And as you read through this this second letter to Timothy, you sense his loneliness. Especially when we get close to the end of of the book. You'll see the loneliness he was feeling. Obviously, Paul was concerned about the church because it was under Nero's persecution. When you read these books of the Bible and you read these letters, we we think, well, they really had it made and, and, and they were a lot like us and in some ways they were a lot like us, but at the same time, they were under some of the most severe persecution the church has ever faced. And yes, I realize the church is facing severe persecution in parts of the world today, much like the early church was under Nero. And as Paul knew his life was coming to an end, he was concerned for the welfare of the church. He wanted the church to grow. He wanted the gospel to spread. He'd done all he could do to take the gospel to the furthest ends of the earth. And he wanted that to continue. 
And the last thing is, it's a sad farewell to his son. I read um, the key, the main point here is that we are not to get mired down in the world. Don't let the fire go out. Stay faithful and stir up that fire. Can you imagine if, I mean, Paul had to be somewhat concerned because as you read Paul's letters, he did sometimes battle with fears and doubts and those kind of things. We all do. Can you imagine how he felt? Say, I'm going to die. What's going to happen to the church when I leave? And he wanted to make sure the church was going to keep continuing. So anyway, let's begin. Let's look at the book. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll dig into the book um, and start in verse 1. Father, we thank you for the chance to be here this morning. I pray that you might bless our time together. Lord, I pray that you might help us to be attentive and attuned to your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn the lessons that you have for us in this amazing little book where Paul begins to share his, shares with the church, shares with his son in the faith, the, um, the reality of the importance of keeping the fire alive. Lord, and I pray for us. Lord, sometimes we can get discouraged. Sometimes the fire can just be smoldering and sometimes it's about to go out and it's hard to find those hot coals to stir it up. But Lord, I pray that we would look in, look deep, Lord, and see what we can do to stir up the fires of our faith to share with those around us. Thank you again for our time together. Be with those who are away from us this morning. Lord, I pray that you might help us to be blessed by this little study from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the first thing we see is Paul's love. Look at verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of um, life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul starts out, he reminds us that he's an apostle. An apostle is in, it was a special office for him because God had biblical apostles who he gave special power to in the early church to get the church going, to get it fired up. But an apostle is also, in essence, a messenger. It's a messenger of the gospel. And in that regard, maybe you want to say with a capital A, Paul was an apostle with a capital A, and we're all apostles with a lowercase a. Does that make sense to you? He had the office of apostle, but we're all apostles. We all have the responsibility of sharing the gospel. He was a messenger. He had a special office in the church. And um, his power was the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that promise kept him going no matter what he faced along the way. He knew that even death could not defeat him. He writes, this is to Timothy, my beloved son in the faith. Um, back in 1 Timothy, he was called my true son in the faith. But there was a special bond there between father and son. Um, it's, I, I look at these, I, you know, you, you wonder, no, I don't wonder, you look at situations where there's older men and they have a special son in the faith. Somebody they want to encourage Somebody they want to teach the, the 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 gospel to, somebody they want to they want to be praying for. That's why I, that's why I chose to call the young lads who were away this morning. I want to call them Team Timothy, because these are lads, and I know their parents would agree with me. These are lads that have all kinds of potential to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're in the future, and that's how Paul saw Timothy. Timothy was the hope for the future of the church. And he says, he bestows the same blessing he always bestows. I don't want to jump over them necessarily. But he says in verse um, verse 2, Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul starts out praying for his, his 
Paul starts out praying that God would continue to pour out His grace to Timothy. And you know what we need today? We need God's grace as much as Timothy did as we try to get through this life. Because life is hard and it's tough. So he prays that God would give him His grace. He prays that God would give him um, His mercy. And then he prays that God would give him the peace that passes all understanding. So, basic introduction. But then we, then we make a change, then we move on here. Uh, so the second thing we see is Paul's prayers in verses 3 and 4. Uh, I love this picture of Paul's concern for Timothy. Yeah, thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. He, Paul's prayer begins. He thanks God that he can, that he has a pure conscience. His mind is clear. His mind isn't muddled. He can thank God for Timothy with a pure conscience. He knows he's been his son in the faith. He knows he's been there. They've, they've been there for each other all through the years. He had the right kind of attitude. Um, he had the kind of attitude that we should all have for each other. We ought to be grateful for each other. We ought to be grateful for the chance we have um, to serve God. And Paul had that kind of gratitude and the kind of prayer that he had for his son Timothy. Um, okay, and then he, how often did he pray for him? He prayed night and day. He never ceased to pray for him. He wanted to see him. Uh, he said, uh, "He said I greatly desire to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy." What do you think that means? That I, he says, I'm mindful of your tears that I might be filled with joy. I did a lot of reading on this passage. Some people think that his, Paul, that Timothy was upset because he was um, thinking about Paul's death. And that might very well be true. But I read a couple of authors who said, because of the context, that Paul, Timothy could be would be looking back with the emotion he felt when Paul passed on the reins to him. When he laid his hands on him and, and gave him the... And gave him the uh, passed on to him the authority to take over in his place. He said, I pray for you, I want to see you, and I know your faith. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. And Paul wanted to remember Timothy with all the joy that he could have, be joyful that God had, what God was doing in Timothy's life. <clears throat> he said, I pray for you, I want to see you, and he said, I know your faith. So the prayer was then, then Paul also had confidence down in verse 5. Uh, when, I, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it is in you as well. Now, what is this saying here? He says, I, I'm thank, I, know you, I know you have the faith. He had faith that was unfeigned faith. Um, I don't know what the, at least what my translation says. I gotta get new glasses, I'm afraid. Let <laughs> me um, yeah, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you. The unfeigned faith. Paul remembered that Timothy had pure faith without doubting, without fear. There's nothing fake about Timothy's faith. Nothing fake about Timothy's faith. Nothing false about it. Um, it was pure, it was absolute, and it was complete. And Paul thanked God that Timothy, as he passed on the reins, Timothy had a faith that wasn't mixed with doubts, that wasn't mixed with anything else, but Paul, Timothy had the ability to trust God completely. So he said, I thank God for your faith. And I love this. Alright? Look at, who was responsible for 
Timothy's faith. Do you see it there? Who? The women in his life. Who specifically? His mother and his granny. Isn't that something? Isn't that a beautiful picture? Sometimes people think the church is all about the the preachers and the men, but this these these two women, his granny and his mother, are the ones who were saved, and they're the ones that passed their faith on to him. He was a third generation Christian this early. Mary and I were talking about this week, and we really don't know when they got saved. They may have been saved at the same time. There wasn't a whole lot of time here. But Paul, but Timothy had two godly women in his life. And I think that speaks to the ladies in the church. As God sends children along, ladies, the women, the mother, the grannies, have a special responsibility to raise their children and their grandchildren in the faith. There's a heritage that's there. And somehow, especially since he was a son, I, I like, sons are, there's, there's that natural closeness naturally between a mother and a son. What's the saying go? Um, no, I think that's another idea, that's another concept. But mothers and sons, um, mom is always mom. I look back at my parents, okay? Both of my parents were good parents. They both were, um, did a good job. My dad was busy all the time. And back when I grew up, mothers basically stayed home and took care of the kids. I look at my mom's example and I can, and I look at all the impact she had on my life. And mothers and grannies are to have that kind of impact. And if you're a Christian mother or a Christian granny, we have, they have a special responsibility to keep sharing their faith with the kids and with the grandkids. Somehow they can get through. There's a natural, I know men can be nurturing, I'm not being sexist here, but somehow there's a natural nurturing between, for a, with a mother and her children. And Timothy had that because of his grandmother and because of his mother. They're the women in his life who made an impact. His granny Eunice, his mother Lois, were faithful in passing it on to him. And how important it is that godly women do the same thing today. But then Paul says this. Paul says, I know that the faith is not just in your mom, it's not just in your granny, but it's in you as well. We, we, we can sometimes get the notion, especially in a place like the deep south in America, that everybody are believers because their family are believers. I was on an ordination council one time. I look back and I still can't believe I signed the document. Alright, because they asked the guy who being ordained why he was a Baptist in particular. And he said, well, my grandparents were Baptist and my mom and dad are Baptist and that's why I'm a Baptist. Okay? I've been I've been witnessing the people before in in Alabama and trying to tell them give them the gospel, and I said, well, do, you, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? He says, Yeah. Well, how do you know? Because my mom was a Christian, and that was enough. Okay, I, I'm from a Christian family, and but Paul makes sure that Timothy knows here that it wasn't just his father mother's faith, it wasn't just his granny's faith. But Timothy had to exercise his own faith in Christ. He couldn't depend on family faith. He had to depend on his own faith. And a lot of you guys, those of you who have children, most of your children are quite young. And you're getting ready to bring them up in the Lord. Um, Some of us have older kids. And we've done what we can do basically for them. 
Um, but the younger kids, uh, we need to make sure that we're, we're able to pass on our faith to them. But let me tell you something. <clears throat> just because you are saved, and just because you've lived, tried to live a Christian life, and just because um, you've done your best or whatever, doesn't mean that your kids are going to come to faith in Christ. It doesn't mean it at all. Our children need to get to the point where they make their own decision. Is this faith, is it my faith? Or is is it my parents' faith? And they've got to decide. And that's a tough thing to watch when you see kids who are not following the faith in their lives and their behavior. We never know what God has done. But Paul said, I know that your granny was saved. I know that your mama was saved. And I know that you have that same kind of faith. And the faith they had was unbridled, unfeigned, not fakey, not hypocritical, but pure, absolute faith in Jesus Christ. I have to you look at your, look, look at myself today and I was challenged as I was looking at this. How unfeigned is my faith? I know I'm a believer. I know I'm saved beyond a shadow of a doubt. I've got the absolute faith that Jesus is going to take me to heaven. But what about my faith to go from day to day? Is that kind of faith unfeigned in my life? Am I able to trust God in every situation? Or do those little stupid little niggly doubts and fears come along and make me wonder what God is, what's going on here? How's God going to do this? Timothy, Paul encouraged Timothy because he had a faith that was pure and unfeigned, that really trusted God. So Paul could, Paul could, with confidence, pass his faith and the challenge of the ministry on to his son of the faith, Timothy. And then we have Paul's charge in verse 6 and 7. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of um, power and of love and a sound mind. He also carries on, when we come back to this, he always talks about the fact that not, not being ashamed of the gospel. We mentioned this before, that, um, that when we began the message, that Paul, there was the, the fire was there. And Paul reminded Timothy, you got to stir that fire up. And I've I, I read this verse at times when my faith wasn't really be wasn't really what it should be, and I've been challenged. And I think every believer has been challenged by the fact that we, well, sometimes we just get cold. We begin to float away. We get lackadaisical. We get we don't really care. And those times come. And they're part of what Christian life happens. We've all been there with time when, why bother? And our faith gets weak. And what do we do when that happens? We're challenged here that the faith is still there. Remember the illustration at the beginning of the campfire? That might just have a few coals and embers? But that faith is still there. And when that time comes, we need to, we need to choose to stir up the faith. We need to re, we need to rekindle the fire. We need to get the fire blazing and going in. And how do we do that? How do we stir up the faith? How do we get the fire going? And the word there, stir up the faith, is exactly the word we talked about earlier. It's about to stir the fire up and get it, get it, get it going again. And he challenges Timothy to keep stirring that faith. Don't let your faith go cold. Don't get lackadaisical about your faith. Don't get to the point where your faith is kind of shoved into the background. Keep it alive. 
keep the fire going. Because if the fire, in, the fire of our faith is not obvious in our lives, then how's anybody else going to see it? How's anybody else going to find warmth if we're not burning? Well, there needs to be a fire about us, a constant fire-filled faith, can I call it maybe? Where we keep the faith stirred up, we keep the fire roaring, we make a change. So Paul says, Timothy, keep that faith stirred up because you're going into the world to preach the gospel. I'm leaving and I'm leaving here to do the job. Keep that fire going. And Paul had the kind of personality. Paul kept that fire going. He just kept going and going and going. Every time, every 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 difficulty he had, every challenge he had, Paul kept that fire going. Um, refer, we look back at one Timothy chapter four and verse ten, verse fourteen. Paul says, "He said, stir up the gift um, of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands." It goes back to one Timothy four fourteen when they laid hands on Timothy and gave him to the ministry. Now. Um, that was a very meaningful act for Paul to be laying his hands on, encouraging Timothy in the faith. And God gifts us, gifts, when we get saved, God gifts us with that same gift to serve God. We have the gift. We have the ability to serve God. We all have it in our lives and in our hearts. And we can, so we need to keep that fire going. But the, how do we do that? What do we do when, when the fire gets cold? What do we do when it's just down to some embers? What, how do we keep that fire going? The same thing we should do from the beginning. We fellowship believers with believers. We hear the Word of God preached. We read our, we, we read our Bibles. We consciously strive to follow God and do the things He tells us to do. We constantly look for opportunity to share our faith. We look for chances to serve others. That keeps the fire going. There's nothing more exciting than, 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 than to be in a position where we're able to share the share. I told you a couple weeks ago, I had two chances in one week to share my faith. That was an amazing week. They came out of nowhere. And that always encourages us. We need to lift up and we need to keep, we need to lift that fire, keep that fire raging so we can keep our work going for God. Then he says, verse 7 is so challenging. And we'll finish with this this morning. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's an amazing challenge, isn't it? Does anybody, anybody ever get afraid? I think we all get afraid. God doesn't give us that spirit of fear. When we're fearing, it's not from God. When we're afraid, it's not from God. When we sit there and have a panic attack because we don't know what's going to happen from next, that's not from God. If it's not from God, who's it from? One or two places, right? Or three places. Because the world has given us a spirit of fear. Because Satan has given us a spirit of fear. Or because our flesh has given us a spirit of fear. So you can be assured, I can be assured, that if we're in fear, if we're afraid, that's not from God. What does God? And what, what, what makes us afraid? Don't be afraid appears hundreds of times in Scripture. I saw a Facebook meme that said there's 365 times and the Bible says don't be afraid. Um, no basis in truth. It's not like that at all. But there are, somebody came up with it. There are hundreds of times when God says, be not afraid, I'm with you. We walk in, we can walk in fear because of the world we live in. It's not of God. Why do we, what, what makes us afraid? I know there's only a few. What, what, what makes us afraid if we're not careful? What makes you afraid? I'll tell you one of mine. 
I, I can sometimes fear the future. I'm getting older, alright? I'll be 65 this year. Can you believe it? I'll be 65 this year. And as the years go by, I can be afraid of the future. What's it going to bring? As my body continues to weaken, as I continue to age, what is the future going to bring to us? What else do we get afraid of? Anybody, come on. A lot of people with young children. All right. Fear of the future for you. You fear, you fear for what's going to happen to your kids. What else? What else are we afraid? What else makes us afraid? Financial uncertainty. Does that ever bother anybody? All right. How about fear of job loss or fear of any number of things? How about fear of rejection? Everybody, everybody, anybody ever been afraid of being rejected? That's one of the greatest fears of sharing the gospel, isn't it? That somebody's going to reject you. <clears throat> fear is not of God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but He's given us. A, he has given us a spirit that we can take with us as we as we move forward. He says, I, "But I, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but He's given us a spirit of power. He's given us a spirit of love, and He's given the spirit of a sound mind." First of all, God's given us a spirit of power. When Jesus sent the disciples into the world, He said, All power, all authority is given unto Me. And then He tells them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, I'm with you always. We have all the power of God working in our lives when we, when we start to get afraid. We need to remember we don't have to beat the enemy by ourselves. We've got the power of God on our side. John wrote in 1 John, Greater is He that's in Me than he that is in the world. If I depended on myself... I'd be terrified. If I look at the situations that we face and, tr- and things that we don't know what's going to happen, I'd be terrified. But we, need to, we can be assured that we have all the power of God working us. That's the gift from God. God has not given us the power. Of the, the, God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of power. He's given us the power. He's given us a wonderful spirit of love. And my goodness, the Word of God is packed with, with references to love. Uh, 1 Corinthians tells us that we are to do everything we do in love. We have the power of God working in us. We have God's love on our side. Do we believe that God loves us? As I face the future, do I really believe that God loves us? Do I believe that God is with me and gives me the power to serve Him? Do I really, truly believe that God loves me? If I don't believe that God can care for my future, I'm not really believing His love, am I? He says, you have that love, you take that love to others. God has given us a spirit of power and strength. God has given us a spirit of, of the spirit of His love and His compassion for us. And God has also given us a sound mind. We don't have to, the mind is a terrible battlefield. I've done some Bible study, I read a book called The Battle for the Mind, the, in the arena of the mind. I've said, because our thought life, <clears throat> for me at least, is a part of my life that Satan really attacks. He wants to plot doubts and fears and all kinds of things into my life. That's why we're told over and over again to set our affection on things above and not on things beneath. That's why we're told that um, when we, if we're truly in Christ, we're not going to look at the things that we see that are temporal. We're going to look at the things that we can't see that are eternal. There is a battle for the mind, but God tells us how to win that battle for the mind. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Philippians 4, uh, verse 8 and 9. <clears throat> uh, 
Philippians 4, is, I must go there every single day. He starts back in verse, um, let's go back to verse 4, Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I, I will say rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It will guard our hearts and our minds. The peace of God. God has given us the power to let His peace reign in our heads. We don't have to lose sleep over worries and fears or concerned, or all, all the stuff that's going on. God says, I've given you the power to have peace of mind. And then He tells us in verse 8 and 9 how to do that. Finally, brethren, He says, you want to have that peace of mind? I've given you the power. I've given you the ability to have a sound mind. But look at Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is um, any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. God says, you want this sound mind that I promised you? Do you want a sound, do you really want the sound mind? He said, it's there. He said, but, you, but you're a human. You've got the ability to think about it or not think about it. God says, meditate on on the kind of things he talks about here. He says, God God has given us the power to control our minds. We don't have to get caught up in wicked or immoral or sensual or selfish or angry or bitter thoughts. God says, here's what you do. You want that control? Think about things that are true. Think about things that are noble. Think about the things that are just and whatever, things that are pure and things that are lovely and whatever things are of a good report. If there's virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. And then, God says, the things you've learned and received and heard and, and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. God will give us perfect peace, Isaiah wrote, when our minds are stayed on Him. Just a, just a brief introduction. Paul writes to Timothy. He says, keep that fire going. And he says, here's how you keep that fire going. Remember, I've not given you a spirit of fear. You need to be brave. You need to be courageous. Don't be afraid. I'm sure Timothy did feel afraid. My goodness, Paul was dying. What was Timothy going to do without him? How could he carry on? Paul, you're leaving me here. And he was, he was still a youngish fella. And he, he had to be terrified of that new responsibility. God said, don't be afraid. I've given you power. I've given you love. I've given you a sound mind. And God tells us Christians today the exact same thing. We are, here we are 2,000 years on. And God is telling us to do the same thing. Keep um, going to all the world and sh- preach the gospel. Live for me. Be an example of Christ. Follow my example. God says, go out there and just keep that fire alive because you need that fire to keep serving me. Don't be afraid. I can be terrified to share my faith sometimes. I can be fair, I can be terrified to stay, take a stand for Christ even in simple ways because I'm afraid of what they're going to say about me. Don't be afraid. Keep that fire burning. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. 
But, 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 but because God has given us power, He's given us love, and He's given us sound mind. Next two weeks from now, because Dan's preaching next week, we'll pick up here. He says, because you have that faith, don't be ashamed to take a stand for Christ. Why is it, guys? Why is it? I can tell everybody I'm a Chelsea fan. I don't worry about their mockery when I say I'm a Chelsea fan. Why is it that, that I can say, um, I don't know, any number of things. Why is it I proudly say I'm a fan of Irish rugby? And if I were in the, if I were in England and during Six Nations, I'd proudly say I was an Ireland fan. We were there on St. Patrick's Day a few years ago. Remember that? We were in the UK. And you know what I wore in London? Because two days later, Ireland were playing England in the, in the, in, in the Six Nations. You know what I wore all over London that week? My great big Ireland jumper. Why? Because I'm proud to support Ireland. Why can we say those things? Why can we, why can we take a stand for our politicians? Why are we not ashamed of all that? But why are we so ashamed of Jesus? Why? We watched this film, Courageous, and part of that, or Overcomer, part of that I told you about last week, the girl, who are you? And that coach said, well, I'm a coach, and I'm a teacher, and I'm a husband, and well, yeah, I'm a Christian too. Why are we ashamed of Jesus? What, What do we have to be ashamed of? Well, we're afraid. But that fear is not of God. God's given you the power to stand for Him. He's given you the love that He's given you the love you need to love those people enough that you're willing to share your faith with them. And He's given the power of a sound mind. It's up to us to keep the fire going. We live in a country that is, I think the, I think the last census, two-tenths of a percent of this population identify themselves as being evangelical Christians. And he's 99. I think it's 98 or 99.8 percent of people in this country don't don't claim to be evangelicals. It could be a scary thought, can it? But after what, after what Jesus has done for me, how can I be ashamed of Him? I, I, as I walk down the canal, I hear older Irish people saying, God willing, and, and all this, you know, if it, you know all, and thank God, lovely day, thank God. Why can't that pop out of my mouth so naturally? Why does it sound forced when I say it? Because Satan wants our fire to go out. He doesn't want it to be rekindled. He wants to keep our mouth shut. He wants us to be ashamed. He wants us to be afraid. He wants us to be embarrassed by being believers. We have no need to be embarrassed or ashamed being believers. We need to stir up that fire. We need to keep that fire going. Uh, John, I read a, a section of the, about, about Timothy here from a, a, a Christian writer named John Stott. And John, the way he wrote it was, he says, stir that fire up into a white, hot, burning fire. And if that fire is really in us, we're not going to be able to quench it. If we let that fire burn in our hearts, people are going to see Christ in us and we're not going to be able to keep our mouth shut. How is that fire in your life? How is that fire in my life? Is that fire raging inside me? But I need to stop and stir it up again. Rekindle that fire. 
Folks, the whole book of Timothy is going to be about rekindling that fire. How do we keep that fire going in the world that's around us? How do we deal with the world? How do we keep the fire raging? Father, I thank you for loving us. Thank you for this brief introduction to the book of 2 Timothy. Lord, I pray that you might help us to one of us. Stir up the fire that we keep the fire of the gospel burning. We'd realize when we have fear, it's not from you. You want us to have this, you want us to have, you want us to have power and love and a sound mind. As we spend the next several weeks looking at, at this book, Lord, I pray that we take applications. We'd be out there sharing our faith. We'd stop being ashamed of being Christians. We'd stop being ashamed of, 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 of belonging to Jesus. Lord, that our lives would manifest Him in our lives day after day after day. Lord, give us the power to stir that fire up if it's, if, if it needs to be stirred up again. In Jesus' name we pray.